prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Martin Freeman, from The Office and The Hobbit to Sherlock and Breeders. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, you know I love my Brits. I had to have Martin Freeman back on the podcast. It's been too long, about three years by my math since I connected with Martin. Um, of course, back then it was in my office in New York today. It's over Zoom. Who knows? Maybe maybe within a few months we'll, we'll start to get these things done in, in person again. I'm, I'm certainly hopeful. I'm halfway there on my vaccination. I hope you guys are vaccinated. You're on the path towards vaccination. I hope, you know, things are, are looking up where you are. I'm certainly starting to wrap my brain around what life looks like as we kind of, sort of try to find our old lives again and maybe travel a little bit safely, of course, if possible. You know, it's baby steps. I'm not, I'm not expecting to go right back to where we were over a year ago, but any step towards quote-unquote normalcy is, is a positive one, and I, and I feel like we're getting there. So anyway, that's a tangent on the, the bigger stuff out there. But, you know, on, on the more mundane, silly pop culture side of things, um, Martin Freeman always delivers stellar work. I'm such a fan of his work. As I said, it's so varied. It's so prolific. Um, whether you love him from The Office, of course I do. Whether you love him from Sherlock, of course I do. Come on, him and Benedict, is there a better duo on the planet? And of course, working on that giant, giant canvas that Peter Jackson was able to create in the Hobbit films. Uh, and now, thrilled for Martin that he is not only star, but executive producer, a co-creator of his own series. I was late to the party, but guys, get in on this. It's now in, in its second season. The, the show is called Breeders. It's on FX on Hulu. And it is really born out of Martin's own experiences being a dad. And it is a very honest and open warts and all look at what parenting is like, the frustrations, the joys, all of it. Um, because, you know, we see a lot of sanitized versions of what it is to be a parent. But I think Breeders seems to get at a lot more of the truth of parenting than other TV and films do. At least that's the, the goal for the show. And, and I really enjoyed it. I hadn't seen it before. I knew Martin was going to come on and I binged the entire first season. I've now started the second season. So catch up on it on FX on Hulu. Um, and, you know, Martin Freeman is just one of those watchable, fantastic entertainers, actors out there. And um, and also a great conversationalist. I was, I was, I was thrilled to get a chance to talk to him again. He's very bright. He's got the right perspective on celebrity and fame, and he's got the body of work to, to discuss. So he's kind of like, checks all the boxes for me. Uh, we, we dipped a little bit into what his favorite comfort movie was, which is an interesting one. He chose Sleuth, um, which, you know, I think is, is resonates in, in some ways. You know, it's, it's a two-hander, a famous two-hander with Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. I think of the two-hander he was a part of in Sherlock. There's certainly, there's certainly some parallels there. Uh, I'll let Martin himself explain why Sleuth was his comfort movie pick, but it's a good one, and, and now I want to go back to see that film, which I haven't seen in, in many, many years. Uh, other things on my brain, and probably your brain too, if you listen to this, is of course, comic book movies and comic movie TV, or comic book TV shows, rather. We got two giant things drop in the last week. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, which has started its run on uh, Disney+. Plus. I enjoyed the first episode. I'm hearing generally everybody was into it. It's certainly a lot different than WandaVision was. Um, but thrilled for Anthony Mackie, thrilled for Sebastian Stan, uh, thrilled for our guest last week, Emily Van Camp. 
um, and I'm excited to see what's to come in that one. I should say, related to that, big stir-crazy episode, big stir-crazy episode, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie, guests on this week's Stir Crazy Together. Um, they are hysterical, and there's a lot of fun stuff in there, and maybe even a kind of, sort of, cameo-ish thing from one Captain America? Hmm. Check it out. Uh, I'll put it up on my uh, Twitter and my, um, you know, my social media handles, Joshua Horowitz, or you can always go to Comedy Central's Facebook page or Comedy Central's YouTube page. So check that out. The other thing to mention, I'll mention it again, we've been talking about the last few weeks, but it is so much, it's on my mind because it's like kind of everywhere, is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Been fascinating to see sort of everybody's reaction to that. There's a lot to dig into, <laughs> over four hours of it. If you haven't gone back and checked out my conversation with Joe Manganiello, that's worth a listen. Um, by now, also, Zack Snyder himself, who I chatted with, my conversation with him is up. We did that for MTV News. So if you go to MTV News' uh, YouTube page, or again, I've tweeted it out, but go back and look. It's about a 20-minute conversation with Zack. Covered a lot of stuff I always want to ask him about his Snyderverse films. The rumors of Adam Driver potentially being in one of his films. There's truth there. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis that perhaps he wanted in one of his films. There's truth there. Um, we talk about the rumors about Green Lantern being in the new Justice League, the HBO Max spin-off series he might want to see, whether he'd want to do a Marvel movie, what specific character really piqued his interest when I brought it up. So there's a lot there. If you've seen, it, there's really no spoilers in the conversation, but if you're looking for more content to really dig into uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, go check out my conversation with him on MTV News' YouTube page. Um, and yeah, hopefully, I think he's going to hopefully, if all, it all lines up right, uh, come back on the podcast for Army of the Dead, which is his movie that's just around the corner coming to Netflix, him returning to the zombie genre, which he did so well in Dawn of the Dead. So, yes, lots of Zack Snyder on the brain right now and more to come. Um, anyway, all right, let's get to the main event. Martin Freeman, as I said, Breeders is the show, returning show on FX on Hulu. Catch up with it. It's an easy watch. It's a fun watch. And hopefully this, this listen is an easy listen to some technical difficulties. I wasn't in my usual spot recording this, so like a little bit of Wi-Fi issues. There might be like some delays, some gaps, but um, nothing to uh, detract from your enjoyment of this witty, delightful man. Here's me and Mr. Martin Freeman. Good to see you, man. I feel like my lighting is very ominous. I, I apologize. This is I'm not like camera that. ready today. I like that sort of. Uh, you look like a, I don't know, a creature in a scary film. <laughs> well, some would say the lighting doesn't really have anything to do with that. That's just <laughs> that's what God made me. <laughs> I mean, God made me, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's good to see a familiar face, though, man. Thanks for catching up today. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to see you. Um, last we spoke, I think was about three years ago. Luckily, nothing much has changed in the world. It's all pretty much status yeah, we quo. Just pick up where we left off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a funny time. Um, yeah. So, I guess, bring me up to speed on, on where you were at when when the madness began about a year ago. Where you got, I feel like Breeders Season 1 had just dropped, at least here in the States. Were you making stuff? Were you promoting stuff? Were you back it was just thing. I was filming a show in LA called Angeline for Peacock, right? Uh, with Emmy Rossum yep. and the director Lucy Cherniak and having a lovely time. 
and I, I, they managed to shoot me out just before and get me pretty much, it was like get the last helicopter out of Saigon back to London. One of the last ones actually, I think for a while, because all the way through the filming, you've been like, oh, it's fine. You know, it's, it's scary, but it'll be okay. And my feeling was, well, it's, it's, it's nothing. Don't worry yeah. about it. We'll blow we'll be back in a month. It's all, it's all good. We'll yeah. Month. yeah. And then something changed. And I don't know whether it was Tom Hanks getting ill. I don't know, but, but maybe then the industry took it seriously because Tom Hanks is ill. Like, you know, exactly. never mind 4 million other people, but yeah. um, it, I don't know, something changed mid midweek. And it was like, okay, Martin, we're going to try and get you on the last plane or, or get you out as soon as we can, because at some point we're not going to be able to get you out. I don't think, you know, so I got back just in time. I got back middle of March. I mean, round about now. And um, yeah. And so then, you know, what happened happened and I, and I was on lockdown or whatever, you know, like, like with everybody else in the UK for a long time, on and off lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but I've done a couple of bits since then. Um, I've, you know, I've done second series of Breeders. I'm doing something at the moment in Liverpool. But yeah, it's been, um, yeah, it's been a very interesting time. You know, some genuinely for for me some positive things and some things that are very hard you know Did, i mean you, you can't have this conversation without also acknowledging uh, your good fortune exactly. your relative good fortune you know i have a house with a garden and i have space and so you know like last summer i was just reading till i dropped you know just in my garden and it was actually quite nice i've got to be honest it was it was quite nice but did you, um, did, did you have ambitions of like i feel like i've spoken to a lot of people it's been fascinating to kind of document the year that was like some people went into lockdown and kind of like with a purpose like i'm gonna learn mandarin chinese and become an amateur sommelier and others <laughs> others of us like myself were like i'm just gonna survive and hope i don't gain 20 pounds yeah um, i knew i wouldn't really be able to stick to those you yeah know? so i think if i set myself uh, I'm going to learn Gaelic or something. You know, I was like, no, you're probably not, you know. Um, so no, I, I didn't, but I, I, it was lovely. I, I did read a lot. I kind of rediscovered my love for just being uh, alone with books. You know, that was, that was really lovely. And hung out a lot with my kids, which was fantastic. I've got to say, it's really, really lovely, you know. Um, did it, what was the nature of, because I mean, I don't have kids myself and that, that will factor into our conversation on, on breeders today, but certainly my siblings do. And I kind of felt vicariously for them in this past year because my gosh, to be a parent in this last year was a challenge to say the least. Um, did you, ex yeah. you must've experienced that with, with teenagers, young, uh, young, yeah. two, uh, two yeah. brown teenagers, right? Do I have that right? Yeah, they're 12 and 15. Yeah, um, so, yeah I mean, it, so I wasn't doing homeschooling with it. I wasn't telling them about, you know, the English Civil War, I, they, but they were doing online schooling, right? Yeah. So, you know, Joe is in one room, Grace is in another room. So, so my, my main thing is making sure they're eating and drinking enough and uh, making, trying to make sure somehow that they're actually doing work without being too much of a helicopter parent and bugging them all the time. Um, but yeah, it is weird. It is, you know, so between me and my ex, you know, their mum, that we were sort of sharing, sharing that experience. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very odd, you know, and of course they miss school like hell, you know I mean? Like, so, so when they could go back, it was the best thing ever. And then we we're on another lockdown all this year until, until last week. Um, they miss their friends, you know, and they miss that sociability because we are primates who need to be social creatures, you know? Um, the, the, the good news for you nowadays, or maybe it's the bad news, is that even when you're with your kids, you can chalk it up as, as research. For the, 
So I mean, that is an interesting dynamic now where like usually work for you is probably the escape, but now it's kind of like there's a mishmash. Like it's all material yeah. in a way I would imagine. I, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, it, yeah, I suppose it doesn't feel like that because Breeders now feels like it's, <clears throat> I don't know, it feels like the template is up and running. Right, and now you have more leeway to go. I feel yeah. less likely to come in and go, guess what happened to me, folks? And we can right. put that in the show. Um, no, now it is just, I, I can honestly say, and you know, you know what sort of show Breeders is, so you know I, I'm not afraid of telling the truth about the downside of parenting. You know, I, I'm, I fully embrace that. Uh, so I'm not lying when I say it's, it's like 90% of it that the spending that much time with my kids, having them at home has been delightful. I mean, it's, it's been really good. And it's been, I think, really good for us, you know, and occasionally bad for us, you know, because you, you, you need to be doing other stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and however much your kids love you and love their mum, we can't, you know, take the place of their contemporaries, you know. We can't, you know, because I, I, there's no way I can feel the same way about bloody TikTok that my daughter does. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you I feel more strongly it. about it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's quite laissez-faire about it, and I'm well into it. <laughs> we um, got to get back on the tick and the yeah. talk. Yeah. Did, did you always? Did you always know you wanted to be a, a dad? I mean, did you have? Did you wrestle with kind of like, am I going to give up my career when I become a father? Were there those kind of existential moments? I don't think, of I, I, don't think I always knew that. No. Like I, I have never particularly wanted to get married, and I've never been married. Um, but I was with Amanda for sixteen years, and that was the closest I've come, I suppose. But I, no, I, I was always more open to being a father, I think, and and I was open to being a father. You know, when I was told when Amanda said, "I'm pregnant," it felt very right. I mean, it, it felt, and I hadn't been angling for it. I mean, like, let's have a kid, let's, you know. But when she said, "I'm pregnant," I thought, well, yeah, that seems. Yeah, that seems right. I think we should uh, fully jump on that bus. You know, I wasn't scared. Do you know what right. I mean? I wasn't thinking, Christ, what do we do? I just thought, yeah, I think we, yeah, we do this, and it will be, it'll be what we do. Um, and and how did it impact your attitude? Sure, no, no, I guess. <laughs> but I, I guess how did it impact you think your sense of self, your sense of of work, your ambition? Did it did it give you some perspective and maybe? Mm -hmm you know, take you out of your own head a little bit about your own career and, and, and work. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I think it did to an extent and it didn't as much as I was hoping it would, but then I, you know, cause that's the thing people say, you know, a good friend of mine said to me, um, you know, when he, before he was a parent, he wanted, he wanted to be the best actor in the world. And then when he was a parent, he thought, no, I want to be the best dad in the world. And I thought, well, that sounds good. That sounds like the right thing to either think or say. Right. <laughs> so I was kind of hoping that would happen. And of course, you know, of course I want to be a good dad, you know, um, and that's a work in progress. But I think what was, I was, I don't think I've ever been that much in my head about my career. Do you know what I mean? So you like, weren't starting from that dangerous <laughs> actor place that many of them I, are. I don't think so. I'm yeah. definitely in my head, definitely in my head. But I, the things that keep me awake, and not that. And it's never been that. It's it's way more elemental than that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's way more about the what it is to be alive. And that's not meant, meant to make me sound, you know, philosophical. But um, yeah, it wasn't really about career. Yeah. Because I, I don't know, I think I have a fairly healthy attitude to my working life. I think. 
because I've also been quite lucky. So I, I've been able to have a healthy attitude. But um, no, it's more about how am I going to die? That sort of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> since I was about 20, you know. Um, am I a good person? Am I a prick? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so in some, I think it, it took me out of my head more, a little bit later. I think as in the midst of it, <clears throat> it made me anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being, being a dad immediately made me very, it didn't chill me out. Let's put it like that. Well, I mean? It made me way less chilled out than I'd ever been. <laughs> well, now you've piqued my interest on your existential crises because, um, you know, I, I, I envy the people that like don't fear death that like can are like you know like uh, this will be like the uh, this will this will I, I will never be chill about my mortality yeah, yeah, yeah. are have yeah, you come yeah. to 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 grips with that i mean i know you you lost your dad pretty young and that's got to affect sort of your perspective on these things so i mean where are you at in your life in terms of these big questions and well, I, th I think i've i've not moved really probably from when I was young, which is knowing I'm going to die, but not really believing it. You know, I don't re I don't, can't really believe I'm going to die. That, that still to me feels optional. It must be optional. If there's no way the world could continue without me in it. <laughs> you know, there's no way. There's the actor I brain I was yeah. looking for. There's the ego I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we are all the star of our own movie. Yeah. It couldn't be anything else, could it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't quite believe I'm going to die. And of course, I know I'm going to die. And I'm not a massive fan of that fact. You know, I'm not, I'm not great. I'm not greatly chuffed with that. Um, but I think I've been thinking about, I think I've felt mortality since my early 20s. And I don't really know why. I think, I think, you know, there's a point in your youth and in your childhood when, you know, I, I, there's, there's a great Simon and Garfunkel lyric, which says, uh, how terribly strange to be 70. And, and, they, and Paul Simon probably wrote that when he was 26, 27, I suppose, you know. Um, and yeah, damn right. How weird. How weird to be 17, you know. But now the age I am, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a ways off 70, but that's not unthinkable, man. You know, that's really, that's not unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and I think it was when I was 21, and it was probably, you know, when I was 31, it was probably like 70 will never happen, you know until you understand that it's being 70 is a hundred percent better than the alternative, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I hope it, I'm hoping I'm, I hope I'm at a place where I can sort of receive it all with quite good grace. You know, yeah. I, I don't mind get, I don't mind getting older. Of, of course, I see, I think people are kind of lying, but maybe, maybe I'm just being, Maybe I'm just being bitter. I think people are sort of lying when they say, I would never want to be 22 again. I'm like, bitch, I would. It's like, you know, <laughs> there's, there's something great about youth. There is something great about Unless you happen to have had a terrible youth. Right. If you've had a traumatic youth, then I, I understand why you don't want to be 22. And of course, there are, you know, you were probably quite annoying when you're 22 and you're probably quite full of something when you're 22 and you've got no perspective, you haven't done anything yet, but, Actually, that's not true. Some people have. Some people have. But a lot of us haven't done much by the time we're 22. And, and so, yeah, you can judge that and go, yeah, but if I know so much more now and I'm so much happier now. And that, and that I'm sure, is true. I, of course, I know more and I know more who I am. But um, I'm sorry, there's something pretty beguiling about youth. There is. No, yeah. 
Yeah. Give me a sense of, I'm, I'm curious because when I was doing the math in the trajectory of this show, um, again, when, when we last did the podcast together, uh, was Breeders even like a glint in your eye? I mean, were you thinking yeah, about well, generating? It was. Because this is the first was, project yeah. that you uh, really kind of like produce, executive produce, you're in the, you're yeah, help yeah. create. Yes. Um, that's a big shift for an actor. Were you, yes. How did that come about? Yes. And why, were you looking for something to kind of have more ownership over? No, I, I literally, I dreamed it. I, I literally, I dreamed the first scene of the first uh, episode of series one. I, I, I had a dream that became the, the opening of, of Breeders, uh, almost exactly. And, um, and I woke up and thought, oh, that'd be, I think that's quite funny in a way, in a dark way, that, that's quite a good show. So then I just spoke to very smart people who can do things I can't do. Um, and, you know, that's the number one, surround yourself with very smart people. Um, so I did with Simon Blackwell and Chris Addison. Um, and we worked the show up together with always in mind that I would be in it and Simon would be the showrunner and Chris would direct. Um, and we all brought our own stuff to bear as parents, you know. Um, so no, it wasn't, I wasn't really thinking, oh, what can I produce? It was, it was just something that I thought, well, I, I, this show doesn't exist and I'd like it to exist, you know, because, because of the sort of, I, I think partly the, the function of it, I think is as well as making people laugh, it's to make people not feel lonely or not yeah. feel bad about themselves as parents, you know, because whenever I spoke to my friends about it, you know, before it was a thing, but when I said I've had this idea, um, they said, oh, you have to, you know, like people in my situation, parents to fairly young children, it's like, you've, you've got to do it. You have to do it. Because um, that sounds exactly like what we're going through. And that needs to be seen, you know, like the people who, who do this stuff that these characters do are not terrible people. You know, they're not terrible parents, but um, we're not supposed to show that side of our parenting. We're not supposed to acknowledge it almost, you know, in our culture. And that just seems very, A, dis dishonest and B, undesirable. You know, I just, I don't think we would desire a world really where we never um, discipline our children. Well, I think partly we're seeing the end results of what happens when we don't discipline our children in this culture. Were, are there, are there mandates, rules in the writer's room for a show like this? Is there like the, like the old Seinfeld, no hugging uh, kind of axiom on a show like Breeders where you're trying to stay truthful to your experience? Did they have that? No hugging. I think so. I don't, I don't know if that's become like, yeah, legend or if it was true, but it, it fits, doesn't it? Uh, we, we had the thing of um, no one learns anything at the end of any episode. We, we have that. There shouldn't, be a, there shouldn't be a teaching moment. Right. Um, like, and at the end of that, I think we've all learned to be more respectful of, you know, like, it's just, I think it's all, um, we treat the Worsleys, the, the family, the, the Worsleys are like, I, like, I think like most of us, if we're being honest, and that's just, we are busking everything. Like everything is a blag. And uh, we have no fucking idea what we're doing. And we're just trying to cause the least suffering possible, you know. What, what, what do your kids think of the show? Are they horrified? Are they thrilled that in some way they they've inspired it. this? Yeah. No, they love it. And not only do they love it, but that because they know they've inspired it, they are now starting to hit me up for royalties. So, and, and that's got, I think, more serious that each time they bring it up, especially Joseph. He's like, he's like, well, this show wouldn't exist without us, Dad. To be fair, honest, be fair, we should get paid. We should, like, yeah, dream on, dream on. <laughs> um, no, they love it. And, you know, it's, it's nice, you know, because their mum is a very, very good actor as well. And so it, 
they like watching their parents, you know, and, and the fact that this show is, yeah, it wouldn't exist without them. It, it wouldn't. Um, but I think they, they recognize a lot of it, put it that way. They recognize a lot of it because I'm trying to be, you know, I, I'm letting everything in at, from a, just from a purely acting point of view, but there's, I don't try and hide anything, you know, because yeah. um, I'm not playing, I, I'm not, I don't want to sort of, how did he create this role? It's like, you know, it's, it's like, no, but it's, it's the closest thing to me right. that I've ever done. Right. Um, and I'll, and I'll have no, I'll have no problems if people say, you're just playing yourself. It's like, well, to a, to a certain extent, yes. To a, to a, I mean, not exactly, but um, I'm using all the things that made me want to make this show in the first place and happily putting them on screen. You know, all, all, all the stuff, all the vulnerabilities and all the fears and all, and all the joy, because I, th I think Paul and Ali are actually really good parents. You know, I mean, I this is a good family. It's like this is a functioning, functional yeah. family. Um, and, but, and there happens to be swearing. And I just think, and I've said this, you know, a couple of times today to other people, so it, it feels boring to me, but I think, it, I think it's, it's worth saying. A generation or two ago, our parents and grandparents, the difference is that they wouldn't have pretended they didn't shout at their kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one, it's only recently that we've thought, oh, that's a good idea if I, if I lie about that. Right. No one pretended they didn't shout at their kids back in the day. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what on earth would be the point of pretending that? Um, did you did your mom curse in front of you? Did you curse in front of your mom growing up? Was that my mum was a good swearer? Yeah, my mum was a good swearer. I mean, I I heard I did hear a lot of swearing in the house, and and again, like like maybe I'm sure with most of us, there are things that you see in your childhood and you experience in your childhood that you don't necessarily want to pass on. In all honesty, but there are also things that you think that that seemed kind of rough at the time, but you know what? That's called character. That is genuinely called building character and it's called being alive. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to lose that. And I, and I do want to pass some of that on to my kids um, as well as, you know, I, I was lucky because I knew I was loved, right? I, from the get go, I was absolutely demonstrably loved as a child. And I was also bollocked and told off and shouted out where necessary, you know? Um, and that for me is like as, as good as it gets. That's, a, that's as much as you can hope for. Um, I think I, I, I started swearing in front of my mum later on. Yeah, later on when I, when I felt, oh, is this safe? Yeah, we, yeah we're swearing. Great, we're swearing. <laughs> <laughs> the dam is um, broke. There's no going yeah. back now. Yeah, same for me. I feel like I didn't do it until like, I was in my 20s. And it, right, at first yeah. it felt a little odd. And then it's like, okay. you know. Yeah, I think maybe, yeah, maybe my late teens, uh, maybe. I, but I remember one time, like one of the, I still remember it, so I must have been pretty scared. I remember my mum overhearing me really swearing with a mate of mine. And I turned around and my mum was just there, like with that face. I'll, I'll explain that to people who aren't watching. It was a stern face. It was a stern face. And then she just walked away and I thought, oh man, I am in shit. And, um, and I was like 10 or 11. And I'd been really swearing because that's what, obviously what children do. And... And I knew as I approached her, I was like, oh, this, I've, I've got to take it. I've got it. And she, yeah, she wasn't impressed. You know, seven years later, she was like, well, okay, you're, you're, you're a person now. You're a sort of more a grown up. But yeah, she, there were definitely standards and definitely parameters for sure. Um, How did the, uh, were you always planning to do the time jump this season? Was that part yeah, of the? Yeah, we were. Yeah, that was always part of it. Yeah. 
just to, to sort of show another part of the family dynamic, I suppose, between yeah. infants and, you know, pre-teens becoming teens. Um, it's, it's different. And also you can, you can give the actors concern different challenges, you know. Well, I, I really you enjoy... Give, you know, I, I enjoy, and I, 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 I frankly hadn't seen the the first season up until this last week. I, I binged it this past week, and I really enjoyed kind of the the use of going back and forth in time too, to kind of like mix it all up, mix all the joy and the sorrow, the happiness and the tragedy. Um, yeah. The, the show, as you said, it's kind of like all the colors of parenting, all the colors of the human condition, um, and it yeah. makes it feel all the more exactly yeah. true. I think so. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think because part of the I don't know, the USP, I suppose, of the show in a way was the, that side of, you know, the, I think the way we show parents being angry with kids is not very common in a comedic setting. I, I, just, I haven't seen it myself, not to that extent, not with characters who you're then laughing at and rooting for. Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, it shouldn't even be that remarkable. <laughs> I mean, I think it's only because we've got where we are in our culture um, that that that's even really weird. Oh my god, that's so brave because you're you're showing yourself losing your temper with your kids. It's like, wh- why are we pretending that we didn't grow up in families where people lost their fucking mind? <laughs> exactly. And when's that ever going to be different? You know, like, yeah. And why should it be different? How on earth would it be healthy if if there was no not the occasional blow up? You know. It's, it's, as you say that, it's, uh, I'm, I'm like, were these scenes exactly the same, like cavemen times, Victorian times? They probably were. I mean, they looked, maybe looked a little so, bit different, but people more, yeah. always were losing their shit with their kids. Yeah. I think just with more physical violence, I suppose. Yeah. yeah and, I suppose. This, and, and it's clearly progress that the physical violence part has dropped down. Yes. And uh, that's obviously a good thing. Um, but along with, you know, being shoved up chimneys or whatever, or a general child labor that was pretty common in our societies until about a hundred years ago. Um, so yeah, good. That's progress. But I think, I don't think it's progress to pretend to, to sit on everything and, you know, for us all to pretend to be therapists and not lose our minds once in a while. I just, yeah. I just think that's, I don't know, you try staying up all night, having a sleepless night with a very small child and tell me that you feel Zen about it. I mean, <laughs> you can, you might and, just be more uh, evolved than you and I. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're either a saint or a liar. Yeah. yeah. There must be a joy in, again, having been a, a co-creator of this and executive producer of this. Like, are you, you must have a strong hand in casting and casting the lead roles and the guest roles. Like, are you, yeah. are you auditioning actors? Is that an odd situation for you to suddenly be in where you're in the room auditioning other actors? It was actually, it was, and it, and it was a really, it was a really good um, reminder to me of what we as actors go through and what we put ourselves through in that, in that process, you know, because, and that, and that process isn't easy. And I think, because I've been in, a, you know, I've been in the position of not auditioning for some time. And I mean, obviously, you know, obviously I have, but it, but it's, it's a while ago. And, and it's worth remembering, I think, the appropriate judgment of that process. Because it's, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, you know. I've met people in, in the armed forces who are more scared of what I do than going into battle. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to me, that seems mental. That seems crazy. But, you know, what we do is not, it's not war, and it's not going down the mines, and it's, you know, I'm never ever going to claim anything like that. It's the hardest job in the world. But there are aspects to acting which are pretty hard, which are pretty tough on your psyche, right? And, and on your character. And 
the whole thing of the notion of doing your thing, like showing your craft and knowing that there's seven people judging you, <laughs> like properly judging you. Um, that's a tough one, man. That's, you know, so that, that was a nice reminder for me that I'm, oh, I'm now one of the people judging you and, and I'm one of you, you know, I'm the same species as you. Um, so it's, um, it, that was a nice thing to be reminded of, uh, the respect that I think you, uh, should afford people for doing that. Yeah. Cause I would imagine you alluded to this, but I would imagine the quote unquote, like key performances in your career that people think of most notably in, in the big stuff, right? You probably did an audition for, I would imagine. Did you audition for Hobbit? Did you audition for Sherlock? Actually I did. Yeah. I, I, I went on tape for the Hobbit and it was, it was, it, so it was an audition, but it was an audition with a kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We want you to do this because <laughs> there, there was at that stage, um, Guillermo del Toro was the director and there was a note in the casting room that the casting director showed me and it was from Guillermo del Toro saying, Martin, we want this to be you. So do a good job because we already, this is your, you have to lose this now. Do you know what I mean, this is yours for the losing. If you mess it up, then that's on you, but we want you to be this thing. I guess, so that that's, was a, very, I guess that's a gift, right? I mean, it could have the opposite effect, oh, but that's that, a... That was, that was fantastic because, because also I was in the middle actually of shooting, we were shooting Sherlock at the time and half of the UK was going up for Bilbo Baggins and other parts in it. And a fair bit of Hollywood, actually, as well, were being sort of touted around for it. Um, and so I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. Do you know what I mean? So I wasn't thinking, this is my part, goddammit. I wasn't thinking that. So I just thought, well, this seems fun. And, you know, and I heard people over the years say, you know, you should play Bilbo Baggins. I was like, should I? I you know, I, yeah, okay. But I, but I wasn't, not every last ounce of my being was invested in it, you know? Um, and that's not to say I was not caring about it. I'm, I'm, eternally glad I did, the, I did the Hobbit, but I wasn't putting that kind of pressure on myself. And so right. getting that note was a nice thing. I auditioned for Sherlock. I auditioned once badly because I was in a bad mood. <laughs> and, and I think they just caught a kind of angry vibe off me. And these were people I knew, like, I, you know, I, I knew the, some of the team and, and, you know, Mark Gatiss, one of the co-creators is a, is a old mate of mine, you know, but I think he, I think they thought I didn't really, I don't think he really wants this. But then I said to my agent, no, can you please tell them I did want it? And I was just, I was in a bad mood, or, you know, whatever. And so they got me back to read with Benedict and, uh, and, it, and it was frankly really good. You know, it was, it, we clearly worked together, you know. So, but yeah, but, but since then, I've not in the last 10 years, no, not, not really. Um, so, so I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, Sherlock to a degree is, is a bit of a two-hander. There's obviously a great ensemble, but it really rests on you, you two. Um, it, it struck me when I heard, uh, just a couple hours ago, the comfort movie you selected. There's some, there's some residents there. Sleuth, which I haven't yeah, seen, yeah. frankly, in a long time, but now you've given me an excuse to go back and check it out, yeah. uh, is an exceptional two-hander. Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. I know, um, I know. Yeah. Talk to me about why, why you chose that as your comfort movie. Did that come like right off the top of your head? Like that's, that's just a comfort movie? No, it didn't actually. I, I kind of thought, well, what, you know, because these days I don't really watch comfort movies. I, I suppose I watch comfort series, I suppose. But when I was uh, a child, and into my teens, I used to watch that film a lot. You know, it was like, it was like taped off the television uh, when I was very young. And it was the first time that I'd become aware of uh, Michael Caine, right? Because I'd known the name Michael Caine. It's like, some, do you know, there are some names that you, before you know who the person is, you've got a very, like when I, I knew the name Shaka Khan before I'd ever seen Shaka Khan, right? And I thought Shaka Khan was like some old timey, 
movie star or something. I was like, that, is that Shaka Khan? <laughs> so I knew, I knew that Shaka Khan, I'm sorry, no, I knew Michael Caine. <laughs> Shaka Khan. So they get confused for each other a lot, to be fair. <laughs> so no, I knew Michael Caine as a name and I knew he was a film star. But when I saw him in Sleuth, I didn't realize he was, um, I suppose I, I didn't know people like that could be movie stars. You know what I mean? Because he was just this Londoner who was not the same as me, but like not, not a million miles from me. Right. You know, he, he was, you know, he was, he's nice looking, but he's not classically, um, you know, matinee idol. He sounds very, very recognizable to me. Um, and he looked great, you know, in that sort of early seventies styling in the, in the film. Um, and Laurence Olivier is obviously Laurence Olivier, you know, it's brilliant. But I just love that it's obviously based on a play. It's a two-handed play. But for those of you who know, well, I know there is a spoiler coming. There's a spoiler coming. Um, there's a reveal at some point where Michael Caine is pretending to be somebody else and, it, and it's, it's revealed that it's actually Michael Caine that now maybe looks obvious if you, you know, because with the aid of 48 years, you know, but when I first saw it, when I was like 10, nine or 10, I thought this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so I, I used to watch it a lot. And I think it's where I sort of um, fell in love with acting. And I think it's probably where I subconsciously, before I knew I wanted to be an actor, the seeds were probably laid there. More by Michael Caine than uh, Laurence Olivier. Although Laurence Olivier is obviously, fan they're, yeah, they're brilliant together. And Where do you stand on uh, on Death Trap? I think of Death Trap in this in this milieu as well. Oh yes. Uh, now that, that hang on, remind me which one Death Trap is. Death is Trap's, that that's Michael again with I, again. It's been a while. I think I hope I have this right. Ben Christopher Kingsley. Reeve. Oh yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, not Ben Kingsley. That's without a clue. Sorry. Yeah, it's yes. Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve. They're lovers, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. You're just spoiling movies left and right. You want to do the Crying yeah. Game and um, <laughs> that's next. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. Spoiler that they're lovers. It's been a while. Maybe it's not, I think not from the get-go, but maybe it's, it's not like the end of the film. No. Yes. Uh, I, I like Death Trap, but I prefer Sleuth. I, I just think there's something, it's like a perfect little piece of chamber music, Sleuth. It's contained two guys in it who are both flipping brilliant actors. Um, it's a great sort of, you know, that sort of very English, old-fashioned crime drama as a sort of whodunit. Uh, it, it twist, it, the twists and turns of it are really good. There's stuff in it about class. There's stuff in it about the generational thing, little bits of xenophobia, um, just peppered through it, you know, but, but just and not done in a sledgehammer political way, but just right. sort of who these two people are. One of them is an Anglo-Italian working class guy who's a hairdresser, new money. The other is uh, an English aristocrat sort of... Um, crime it's sort of a male agatha christie sort of thing you know um who lives basically in a castle <laughs> you know he lives in a fantastic stately home and is everything this other young whippersnapper is not um have, have you crossed yeah. paths with sir michael i can't remember off the top of my head have you shared I, the screen not i think probably not since i saw you i did meet him a few years ago at an event uh where lots of lovely people were and it was like a dinner thing and like people like, you know, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg were there and, and, and Simon, I think had known, Simon or Edgar had known that I, I've always loved Michael Caine. I've always loved him. 
the good, the bad, all of it. I just, you know, I, I love him. And one of the, I think it was maybe Edgar said, uh, right, come and meet Michael Caine. And because they were on an adjacent table. And I, and I went over and, and <laughs> I immediately went, hi, I'm Michael. And I, I, and he went, no, I'm Michael. <laughs> You're Martin. I was like, Oh God, that's right. <laughs> Can but we I take thought, that again. Yeah. Yeah. Can we please do that again? And, uh, but he either knew who I was or he pretended to know who I was in a very gracious way. And, and I'll take either, frankly. Like if he, if he knows who I am, because he said, he said, oh, yeah, I know who you are. Yeah, I think you're very good. Uh, Shakira, look, this is Martin Freeman. And Simon said, that's exactly what he said to him. Well. <laughs> Shakira, you like Simon. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe he likes me and Simon. But, um, don't let yeah, Simon bring you down. It was a special moment. Allow yourself to have that special I don't, moment. Actually, no, I don't think he was doing it in a... In a horrible way but um he, he was sort of laughing because he was he was there and he said that i was you know <laughs> um but no it, it made me kind of emotional because you know i lost my mum a few years ago and she was very aware of like how much i and she really loved michael kane as well um because sort of you know in a way if if you're english and of a certain generation what's not to like about michael kane um and i thought it was and again don't get me wrong he, he <laughs> i didn't come away thinking Michael Caine definitely thinks I'm brilliant, you know. But I thought, well, I've met someone who sort of may know me. Now, the 17-year-old me would have been dumbfounded by that, you know, amazed by that. Yes. And I've met, a few, I've met a few people in acting. I've, I've met more in music, but I've met a few people in acting who, if you told me as a 14-year-old, would ever go, oh, Martin, I think, I think you're, I like what you do. I, I wouldn't have known <laughs> how to breathe, you know what right. I mean? So, um, yeah, that was one of those. I came away sort of almost with a tear in my eye. I thought that, that for me, may be the only time I ever meet Michael Caine. But that, that's like, I, I've, I've done it. I've sort of, um, that, that felt like an achievement in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's obviously nothing to him. But for me, it was like, yeah, he, and I, because I, I, I was able to tell him what I wanted to tell him, which is, you are undoubtedly one of the reasons I became an actor. So thank you for that. And, and he was very gracious and he accepted it and, and complimented me. But again, whether, whether or not, it's not, but whether or not he was just being polite, but it was, it was just very, um, yeah, it was lovely to, to sort of, that felt like a little landmark, you know? So yeah. I thought this man has no clue that probably subconsciously he's the reason I wanted to be an actor. Cause I think he's the, I think he was the first actor and that performance in Sleuth was the first performance that I sort of imbibed, you know? that I really, I would find myself kind of emulating to nobody, you know, at the age of 11. <laughs> but, you know, there were certain lines in it and certain just looks and attitudes that he had that I thought that's just very attractive. You know, really, really attractive. Speaking of things and people and things that you admire, uh, are you intrigued that your old buddy Peter Jackson has a, a Beatles documentary? Oh, um, yeah, I'm so excited about that. I actually dreamt about that last night. I, yeah, I dreamt about that last night. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've been meaning to drop him a line about that, about how excited I am. I mean, yeah, you know, Peter's, Peter's great. He loves the Beatles. Um, I bumped into him a couple of years ago in London, and he said just the amount of film <laughs> that they had access to was just ridiculous. And he said it really does, you know, when you look at it in its entirety, it really does... Um, slightly set the record straight that that 
you know, it, it's not true that that entire period for the Beatles was just rancor yeah. and arguing. And, you know, he said there was a lot of genuine laughter with a lot of warmth, but um, for whatever reasons, uh, I mean, I'm sure there was also, you know, arguing and of course there was, but, and there must've been some bad feeling because it must've come from somewhere, that idea. But, but he said, no, there was mainly, it was a, a group of people who really made each other laugh and who got on, you know, but you all, have to, all we know about is the downside. Yeah. You guys should do the same thing on Sherlock and set the record straight from all the tabloid rumors. Do, release all the yeah. documentary footage. See, we were having a good time. <laughs> we don't hate each other. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I wish, yeah. We just needed more behind the scenes footage. You know, I mean, there is a fair bit, I suppose. There is a fair bit, my God. Um, as, as the years yeah. go by, are, I mean, you're even further removed from the last series. I know Benedict was questioned about it and you got, this is one of those things that like, you're like the Friends cast. Every day, the rest of your life, you're going to be asked about the reunion. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, as of today, do you have any different thoughts like movie, another series? I'm good where I'm at. Uh, um, I mean, I think, right I think we're all good where we're at. I think, you know, I think we're all, you know, myself, Ben, uh, Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss. I think, you know, we're all uh, busy, thankfully. And I think we're all enjoying, I hope we're all enjoying what we're doing. Is this shadow bothering you? I can't uh, my shadow's worse than yours, don't worry. And they can't see us anyway, so it's just yeah, us. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're all good where we're at, but I think we also all know the value of what <coughs> of what we made together. Yeah. I think we did something really, really good. I, I still love that show. And you know, if my kids are watching it in the in the sitting room, I'll come in and I'll flop down and watch it with them and think, wow, this was a really good show. <laughs> you know? um, and I knew it at the time. I was very proud of it at the time. But um, my feeling is, as it's always been. Um, Probably, you know what? Probably in sub subconscious way, everything, I th not everything, but this is influenced by the Beatles. Excuse me. Um, or at least I agree with them. Uh, things should be finite. You know, yeah. I think things are supposed to end. Now that's, that's not my, that's not my headline. About no, what, I got you. <laughs> um, you know, that's what I've always sort of felt. Uh, it's like, well, why do you want, like, if we do loads, loads more, then you'll end up not liking it. And it can't keep that, um, quality but the truth is if there could be if there's a situation where there's a an appropriate one-off or whatever I, I, i'm not sure i have not seen ben's quote but it was quoted back to me today roughly that you know he can see it maybe as a film and yeah i think maybe more that than another three i'm not sure another three episodes but i i know he and i both really think it's fantastically written yeah. and the the best episodes are yeah, I mean, some of the best things I've ever done, definitely, definitely, or, be, or been involved with, you know. Um, they're beautifully written, beautifully directed. It looks beautifully shot. You know, it's a very, very stylish show. And it's sort of easy to forget now, because even though it's, it's like 10 years ago, um, it was very ahead of its time, I think, as a television program. There was not much around like Sherlock, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Stylistically or content-wise, and... Um, yeah, I'm very, very proud of it. So, the, yeah, the truth is, of course, yeah, I think never say never, never say never. But at the same time, I'm not going, oh, you know, when are we going to get together again? And I can't, sure. I'm not saying I can't wait, but I also, I know how good Stephen and Mark are and how much they love that world and how much they know the world of Conan Doyle, the original material, and how, how good they are at playing with that and adapting that. That obviously it would be in mine and Ben's interests to be open to it, yeah. 
Looking back, you know, this is this last year has been a year uh, just filled with so many tragic losses, and and frankly, none hit I think many of us harder than the loss of Chadwick Boseman, which mm. just was just shocking in just so many ways. Um, I would expect that loss colors your looking back at your own experiences working with him, closely with him, working on Black Panther. Um, does it make you reevaluate, yeah. rethink sort of those those times on set with him and Ryan Coogler? A bit, yeah, it, it does a bit because it makes me reevaluate his workload, you know, because uh, which I thought was impressive at the time. You know, at the time, I remember just laughing at him when he was telling, you know, like, just thinking, how are you doing this? Because he was like saying, oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of the time I'm up in the gym before before filming and then often I'll go to the gym after film. I was like, Jesus, mate, you're doing like 12 hour a day and then you're going to the gym before and after. And I was just laughing. I just found that hilarious. You know, like, how are you doing this? You're, you know, you're leading a film and you're also basically being a professional athlete, you know. Um, I was amazed by that. And knowing what we know now, it, it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible that he did all that and kept it in. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how he did that. Well, and especially in this era where like everyone is encouraged to just be like such an open book and just put every aspect of your life on Instagram and celebrities like, you know, you, the more followers you have, the more marketable you are. And he just, Absolutely, yeah. he didn't play that game. He just, uh, no, I find it incredible. I mean, I, I find it, I mean, I almost couldn't believe it. So until I asked a couple of people at Marvel, are you you're telling me you really didn't know? I know that every direct Spike yeah. didn't know that Cougar no, didn't know. It's crazy. <laughs> no, it's... I, I find it incredible. Um, but yeah, he just wanted to get his head down, and it seems yeah. uh, seems to me, you know, I wasn't his best mate, but it seems to me like he just wanted to get as much work done as possible in the time yeah. he had. Um, it was really shocking. I, I I woke up to a text from my one of my oldest friends, Damon, and he just had written Chadwick Chadwick Boseman. Uh, exclamation mark and I was like what has he has he been knighted or so I thought has he, has he got some honor or something you know yeah uh, it was real yeah real awful shock awful are you, are you plugged in at all to the future of Marvel and potentially your character or are you <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm about to be plugged in more by Ryan Coogler because right? I know I'm in the next Black Panther but I don't know what shape that takes and I don't know what that will look like same as anybody you know I'm as curious as you are because I, I don't know how I don't know how it's going to work I don't know what it's going to look like um, I just know I'm I'm in it, so we yeah. Hopefully this year sometime. I don't, you yeah. know, again, everyone it, you know, everyone who works for Marvel is not really quite sure what they're allowed to say. But um, I mean, there's there's nothing I can say. You know, it's, I, apart from the fact that you know, Ryan told me a long time ago that I was in it. I think he told me before Chad died actually, and uh, and then when he passed, I was like, oh okay. I get maybe there just won't be a Black Panther then, you know. Because, but you know, I, I I trust that they're going to do it in a way that is tasteful and yeah. respectful to that world and to Chadwick, you know. Yeah. Uh, the future of, of Breeders. Do you have another season or two in you? For this I, one? I def definitely another season we want to do. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know. Um, you know, we're not doing it yet. You know, because we finished this one in December just before Christmas, um, and we're all, we're all doing other stuff as well, but. Yeah, we, we would like to do another one. Yeah, if we get the, if we get the chance, I think we sort of we we have plans afoot. Yeah, 
Well, I'm glad this gave me an excuse to catch up to, to this show. I greatly enjoyed it, Martin. Always enjoy what you're up to. Um, I'm, gl I'm glad we got a chance to catch up, even in our weird little Zoom boxes. Hopefully next time in my weird yeah. office back in New York. Thank you very much. So lovely to see you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. Ha, ha, ha.